Find uh, 2 Timothy in your Bibles, please, as we return to our series on 2 Timothy. Uh, Looking this morning at chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 and reading down uh, through verse 10. A resurrection gospel. Now, folks, the message this morning is basically an Easter message. But aren't you glad in the Christian life every day is like Easter Sunday? Because we serve a risen Savior. So uh, looking this morning at the topic of a resurrection gospel. We'll read verses 8 down through verse 10. Uh, Keep your Bibles open there. You may also want to put a finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Because we'll be going over to 1 Corinthians 15 and looking at some things in that text as well. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? Paul says there, beginning in in verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Father, we would ask this morning that you would open our hearts and understanding to this text. Jesus said in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our helper. Lord, I pray that you would enable me to preach this message. And may every listener understand the responsibility that the Bible talks about that is upon the shoulders of a hearer. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So God, open our eyes and open our ears to see and hear that which you want us to understand. We thank you for this glorious gospel message that you've called us to proclaim. Help us to guard that message. We know that Timothy has been told to guard his life. And now we see that he is being told to guard his message. Help us as a church to keep first things first. To remember the essentials of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love the way that Dr. Kent Hughes and Dr. Brian Chappell write about 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in this passage right here. They say it is apparent from the Old Testament that remembering the great acts of God is essential to the spiritual well-being of God's children. In fact, God is very directive about this. And they give examples of three events in the Old Testament that the children of Israel were always to keep in the forefront of their minds. First of all, there was the Passover that they were never to forget. In fact, they were to celebrate the Passover and what it stood for year after year. 
Now we read about the Passover in Exodus chapter 20 when uh, God, uh, Exodus chapter 12 when God was about to deliver Moses and the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And God gave Moses very specific instructions about the Passover, the lamb that they were to take and what they were to do with the meat and what they were to do with the blood. They were to take the blood and put it on the doorpost and lintel of the house. And the death angel, would, God would see uh, the blood there and he would pass over those homes and they would be delivered and they would be safe. And then the Egyptians would drive them out of the land. And so every year during the Passover celebration, they were to remember afresh and anew. And as their children asked them what these things meant, it was a teaching opportunity. Another thing that they were never to forget was the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God told them that this book of the law is to be on your hearts and minds and you're to write them on your doorpost. And you're to carry them with you everywhere you go. And when your children ask the meaning of these things, you will be able to give them instruction. Because you're to talk about the law when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go about your way. You are never to forget how God gave you His law. And then a third thing they were to remember was the crossing of the Jordan. When they were going into the promised land. Remember how the priests were instructed to go down into the midst of the Jordan. That God dried up and they were to pick up those stones. And they were to take 12 stones and carry them out on the other side with them. And put them up as a monument there at Gilgal. As a sign of God bringing them safely through the wilderness. And carrying them into the promised land. And here again they were told when your children ask... What do these stones mean? You will be able to tell them what God has done. Three events in the Old Testament that the children of Israel were to always remember and never forget. Folks, clearly there are things that God wants His people to remember because as we remember these events, as we celebrate them, they are intended to strengthen our faith. And we are reminded of those great acts of deliverance that God has done in behalf of His people to save them. Well, when we come to this passage in 2 Timothy, we see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ falls within that category of things that we are never to forget. Folks, no one can read the New Testament without observing that the suffering and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ are the cardinal doctrines of our Christian faith. They are the essential doctrines. The Apostle Paul, perhaps more than some of the other writers in the New Testament, focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A perfect example of that is this passage before us today. Now you'll remember what he's doing in the whole book of 2 Timothy. Paul knows that he's about to die. Nero, the Roman emperor, is going to have the apostle Paul beheaded. As Paul is writing 2 Timothy, he is in a cold, dark 
Roman dungeon there in Rome. He's already been under house arrest one time. The book of Acts closed with Paul under house arrest. And he was freed that time, but then he was rearrested and he was put in this dungeon in Rome. He knows he's about to die. And so as he's writing 2 Timothy, he's wanting Timothy to pick up the baton and run with it. He's wanting Timothy to be strong in the gospel and to do the work of a faithful pastor and a missionary and evangelist. Paul Paul wants Timothy to continue with courage and conviction and strength. And as he writes to Timothy, he wants Timothy to understand very clearly the core of our faith. You see, there are non-essentials to our faith, but then there are essentials. And when it comes to essentials, there is nothing more critical to remember than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says, remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. In other words, Timothy is to remember. And you and I today are to remember that Jesus is alive. Amen? He's alive. And that means that God has dealt once and for all decisively with our sins at the cross. And because the Heavenly Father accepted that perfect gift that was presented, He raised His Son from the dead with the assurance that all of us who are in Christ will likewise one day be raised. We never need to forget that. That fact alone gives us courage in life and assurance of victory in death. Folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacts everything about our past, our present, and our future. It impacts our past when we were justified. In other words, the resurrection goes along with the cross when it comes to what God did to save lost sinners. It impacts your present. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Because he lives, he's able to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, and your prince of peace. If he were dead, he could not be those things. And so the resurrection not only affects your past, but also your present. And it impacts your future as well. Because after he was raised from the dead, you remember what he told his disciples? I'm going to prepare a place for you. You don't need to let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine of our Christian faith in the New Testament that impacts our past, our present, and our future. It is foundational to our Christian walk. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning, the Christian mandate. Look again at verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. What are we to remember? 
We are to remember Jesus Christ. What are we to remember about Jesus Christ? We are to remember that he was raised from the dead. Now why is that so important? Well, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Begin reading with me in verse 1. Paul said, therefore I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Notice what he says there, of what importance? Of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he also appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Folks, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would simply take its place alongside all other human philosophies and religions. We need to understand how important the resurrection is to what we believe. Paul lived in a day that the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was being attacked. It was being attacked there at Corinth. And so Paul says to them, okay, I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you again what the gospel is. What is the gospel? Now we know that the climax to the gospel is the resurrection. But what is the gospel? Paul says there to the Corinthians, first of all, it is the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Folks, that is essential to the gospel. We are sinners. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You and I have sinned against a holy God. And our sin renders us worthy of death and hell and eternal separation away from a holy God. But Christ died for sinners. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. But what do men do? They suppress God's truth. And the result is, is that they're under the just wrath of a holy God. It's like Dr. J.I. Packer says, one of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both testaments emphasize the reality and the terror of God's wrath. The New Testament is clear as to the to the fact that we all share in this fate. The religious and the pagan man alike are all under sin and under the wrath of a just and a holy God. And you know what that means, folks? That means that on your own and me on my own, we are in deep trouble. And the Bible wants us to understand that 
bad news. You see, before really appreciating the good news of what God has done, we first of all need to understand the bad news. We need to understand what our condition is before a holy God. And the bad news is you've sinned and I've sinned and we deserve death and hell and alienation from God. But that's where God stepped in. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Christ died to take away your sin. That word propitiation that Paul uses in verse 25, to propitiate means to appease someone, to do something to take away their wrath and their punishment. Now normally to propitiate would mean that you offer to the offended party whatever is necessary to make things right. But folks, because you've sinned and I've sinned, we have nothing to offer to God. And so God Himself, the one sinned against, He's the offended party. He's the one who offers what is necessary to satisfy His own justice and to appease His wrath. God offered for us what is needed. He offered His Son. And folks, that is grace. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died taking your sin and taking my sin, taking our punishment and satisfying a holy God. And so Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand what was essential to the uh, gospel was that Christ had died for our sins. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 to point out that Christ was buried. Now that seems rather obvious, but what is it that Paul is wanting us to understand? He's wanting us to understand that Christ really died. What was going to happen was going to be a resurrection from the dead. It wasn't going to be a simple resuscitation. It was going to be a resurrection. Christ died, he was buried. The Romans were pros at executing people. 
And when they took Jesus off the cross, right before they took him off the cross, they pierced his side, the blood and, the wa- blood and water ran out, showing he had died and, and the elements of the blood had already even begun to separate. He was dead. They took him off the cross, they buried him. But that wasn't the end of the story. Christ was raised on the third day. Amen? We serve a risen Savior. He has opened the way into the very presence of God. Meaning that all of those who are in Christ not only have their sins atoned for, but Christ has opened the way into the very presence of God. He's defeated the grave and he's given us eternal life. Now folks, that right there is the gospel in a nutshell. There are other parts of the gospel that are non-essential. For example, we don't all agree on ecclesiology. We don't all agree on eschatology. But on this matter that Paul has written about, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, we all must be in agreement. There's one thing you can know for sure. If you ever meet anybody who claims to be a Christian and yet they they deny the death, the burial, and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ you can know that they are not a Christian this is an essential doctrine around which all believers must be united the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and folks it is this message that Paul is asking Timothy to remember Never forget what is essential to what we believe as Christians. Now again, back to 1 Corinthians 15. After presenting the gospel, Paul moves on to defend the gospel. He talks in verses 5 to 11 of that chapter about all the various appearances of Christ. Here were all of these witnesses that in essence Paul is saying they're still alive. You can go and talk to them. Listen to their testimony for yourselves. They saw the risen Christ. He's alive. And then beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, he appeals to the logic of all of this. Some of them were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. They were saying when you die, you die. And Paul says if that's your position, if your position is that there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead, then that would mean that not even Christ has been raised. And that would have devastating consequences on your faith. In fact, that would mean that the gospel that we preach means absolutely nothing. Your faith means nothing. Preaching means nothing because preaching proclaims the good news of Jesus who conquered sin and the grave. But if the grave is not conquered, then there's no good news to proclaim. There's no hope that we can give to people. Preaching would simply be meaningless words without any type of good news to be delivered. Paul says our preaching would be empty. 
The word he uses for empty was sometimes used of vessels and it, it, it implied that you could take that vessel and you could turn it over upside down to pour out all of its contents and there would be nothing in it to pour out. The vessel was empty. And Paul says without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's what the gospel would be. That's what your Christian faith would be. It would be empty. There'd be no substance to it whatsoever. Preaching would be pointless. When used of men, it meant empty-handed. They have nothing to offer, no gift in their hand. A couple of Easter's ago, I told you a joke about a little boy. He went to his mom and he had a stomach ache. And the mother said, son, it's because your stomach is empty. You need to put something in it. Well, a few hours later, the preacher came around to visit them and had a massive headache. And the little boy said, Preacher, it's because your head's empty. You need to put something in it. That's how our preaching would be without the resurrection. It would be empty. It would be gutted of all substance. There would be no hope that I could give to you whatsoever. Paul goes on to say, your faith would also mean nothing. It likewise would be kenos, is the word empty, fruitless, void of effect, to no purpose. We would also be false witnesses. We would be deceivers. It's not that we just got some of our facts mixed up. It's worse than that. We would be deceivers. We would be liars. Because every Sunday school teacher standing at a podium and every pastor standing at a pulpit preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, if there is no resurrection, he'd be a liar. He'd be a deceiver. It would also mean that we are all still in our sins and we are doomed. And finally, it would mean that the saints of all people are to be pitied. We'd be nothing more than a bunch of sad cases running around on this earth, building churches, going on mission trips, and believing in a phony afterlife. Ernest Hemingway expressed this hopelessness. He said, it is, it is as though we are a colony of ants living on one end of a burning log. Paul says if there were no... If there was nothing to the resurrection, if there were no resurrection of the dead, all of that is what it would mean. We would all be just a bunch of pathetic fools. We would be fodder for the late night comedians. And so Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't ever forget these things about the gospel. Remember the resurrection. And folks, that same admonition is extended to all of God's people today. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The Bible is not simply some book of of, of being a self-help study guide intended to give you a better sense of self-esteem. 
The Bible is first and foremost God's message to man about the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. And if we miss that, we miss the storyline of the entire Bible. It tells us that we are lost and there's a place called hell. But God loves you and He's provided a way for you to be saved and to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And that way is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and on the third day was raised to new life, who ascended to the Father, and one day He's coming back for His saints. That's the message of the Bible. Whatever story you and I are reading in the Bible, whatever chapter or book we're studying, we need to understand that scarlet thread of redemption that runs all through the Bible and that Jesus Christ is the central figure of the pages of Scripture and He is the one that life is all about. The Bible is chiefly about the person and work of Jesus Christ because He's the client of all the stories leading up to the gospel. He's the main character in all of history. So Timothy, remember that Jesus risen from the dead. And that's the message you're to preach. Church, that's the mandate. That's the Christian mandate we have to preach. Now with that being so, I want to talk to you secondly about a common danger. A common danger. Because you see it is a constant temptation to get off on non-essentials. And end up spending too much of our time as, as a body of believers sometimes chasing after things that don't matter, or at least that aren't essential. Yes, it's true that the Bible addresses many subjects, and I'm glad it does. It talks about God's plan for your marriage. It talks about God's plan for your parenting. It talks about God's plan for all of our relationships together. It gives wise counsel. The Bible addresses all of that. But again, the Bible is not simply a self-help manual. The Bible is God's word to man to show him his need of redemption. How to be redeemed and then how to live once he is redeemed. Folks, we must never forget that. We've got too many spiritual feel-good doctors who open the word of God if they even do that. They might read a verse or a passage, lay it aside, and then go on in their messages to tell you 12 things you need to do to be a success. What you need to do to enjoy your best life yet. That is so shallow and so man-centered. Again, it's not that the Bible doesn't address those matters. 
But folks, God's word is a love letter to people on their way to hell telling them how they can stay out of hell and how they can know the sovereign God of the universe. We have so cheapened the word of God and the gospel to the point that you would think that all God intends to do and the only reason God exists is to help you and me be happier and healthier and wealthier in life. Just add a little bit of God into the mix of whatever you want to do in your life and we have the audacity to call that biblical Christianity. It's not. Folks, Paul wants Timothy to understand more and to not get sidetracked. You and I were doomed You were right on the verge and I was right on the verge of going into eternity alienated from God. We were on the verge of condemnation and suffering and damnation. And God in sending Jesus Christ His Son, He rescued you and He rescued me. That would have been an awfully good place for an amen. God didn't need us. God doesn't need us. We don't complete God. We hold to what theologians call the aseity of God. He is 100% complete without you and me. He rescued us because He loves us. Now when you come to Christ, you belong to Him. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. But folks, what a shame that Christianity is being reduced down to some of the things today that it's being reduced down to. It's in that context that Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Third thing I want you to see this morning is a confident assurance. A confident assurance. Now, the most important thing about what Paul says in verse 8 is the fact that if you're in Christ, you have been rescued from death and hell. That's good news. You've been forgiven in and through Christ, and you will be raised one day because He was raised. But I also want you to understand today what goes along with our redemption in Christ. What are some of the benefits that go along with the gospel message of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our union with Him? What are some of the confident assurances that we are given in the Bible because of the resurrection? First of all, the resurrection means that you and I have access into God's presence. Folks, remember in the Old Testament, out of all the priests, there was only one priest that could go into the Holy of Holies. And he couldn't go whenever he felt like it. In fact, he could only go one time a year. One time a year, the high priest could go behind the veil and into the Holy of Holies. One time. That's all. 
But the Bible points out in the book of Hebrews that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that veil into the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing what? That through Jesus Christ, we all, through Christ, can go into the very presence of God. Hebrews 10, 19 and following says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Christ has opened the way for you and me, saved sinners, to go into the Holy of Holies. You don't have to have me or some other religious figure to go for you and represent you. You can go because Jesus Christ represents you. He's your high priest and he's opened the way for you to be able to go. Think about that, folks. All your sins are washed away, but not only that, you have entry into the very presence of the sovereign God of the universe. Baptists describe that as the priesthood of all believers. We don't need some human priest right now among us to, to, who we have to stand back and he has to go for us. That through Jesus Christ we can all go. That doctrine is okay just so long as we remember that even priests need a high priest. We're priests chosen to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. We have a message to tell to the world. We're priests representing God to a lost and a dying world. But even priests need a high priest. And the Bible is pointing out Jesus is our high priest. He's the only one that we need to go into the very presence of God. And that's the privilege you have because of the resurrection. (laughs) Folks, that is not a small thing. To think that God lets human beings, redeemed sinners, come into His presence now. That should boggle our minds. Another benefit or assurance of the resurrection is that Christ is able to come alongside of you in your life and give you strength and direction. You see, if he were dead, he couldn't do that. If he were dead... He couldn't be with you today to be your good shepherd. You wouldn't have the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. If he were dead, you'd be on your own. Paul writes here, Christ, 
Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's in the perfect tense. And that means that it is past action with continuing results. He died and was raised, but with continuing results. And that being that He is able to be with you. He can be your wonderful counselor, your prince of peace, and your mighty God. Think about that hymn that says, because He lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. That's what Jesus was referring to when he told his disciples in the upper room, I'm going away, but it's to your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I go away, I'm going to pray to the Father that he send another of like nature and essence to me who will be with you always. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A benefit of the resurrection. Still another benefit connected with the resurrection comes at the end of verse 8. Notice that along with the mandate to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, Paul adds a very touching phrase there. He says, of the seed of David. And so we're being reminded here not only of the divinity of Jesus, but also the humanity of Jesus. Folks, it's verses like that and like Hebrews 4.15 that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's verses like that that encourage us that he's able to understand everything you and I go through in this life. From his divinity he can save you and deliver you. And from his humanity he can understand your weaknesses because he's walked in your shoes so the one who has all power and saves you and intercedes for you and comforts you and takes you before the father and takes you to heaven one day is also the one who understands your human weaknesses and temptations Paul says, that's my gospel. That's what I preach. And to the Galatians, he said, if anybody comes preaching some other gospel, let them be anathema. Only Jesus is able to transform. He's able to save you. He's able to be that bridge between heaven and earth, between God and man. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Folks, religion in and of itself can't transform you. Religion in and of itself only puts you in bondage. The law in and of itself only puts you in bondage. But Jesus delivers you and transforms you. His saving and transforming power led Paul to say an amazing thing beginning in verse 9. He said, For which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Folks, a risen Savior is able to ensure 
as Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, my word will not return to me void. God's word is not bound. It's not chained. It's not imprisoned. A living Lord, a living resurrected Savior will make certain that his word goes out to accomplish what he pleases. You remember what Paul said to the Philippians about that? They were worried about him in his first imprisonment, his house arrest. He was chained to Roman soldiers and Paul said, I don't want you to be worried about me. I want you to understand what has happened to me has happened instead for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul went to Rome as a prisoner chained to Roman soldiers, some of the most powerful men in the world. Paul had a captive audience. They would hear the gospel and then they would go out on the streets of the most powerful city in the world at that time. And so through Paul's imprisonment in Rome, his house arrest and his his imprisonment the gospel was getting out into a place as powerful as the city of Rome God's word is not bound you cannot chain the word of God everywhere in the world where governments try to silence the message the church goes underground and then it grows like crazy Some evangelicals right now are worried about some threats to religious liberty here in the United States as we're seeing the government make some decisions that many people thought they would never see in their lifetime. And don't get me wrong, we ought to be concerned and we should be working to protect our religious liberties. But I'm here to tell you today, Washington, D.C. will never be able to silence the gospel. In fact, they'll find they'll have the opposite effect. You want to silence the gospel? You want to know what to do? You make life comfortable and convenient for Christians. A, a Christian life without any cost or inconvenience whatsoever. Because then you know what will happen? Christians get complacent and they silence the message themselves. You want to unleash the message? Make it tougher on Christians. And boy, they'll rise to the occasion and be vigilant and they'll get the message out. The Word of God is not going to be chained. Paul said in verse 10, That is why I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, election is a thoroughly biblical doctrine. If you don't want to talk about election, then you're going to have to cut portions of the Gospel of John out of your Bible. You're going to have to cut portions of the book of Acts out of your Bible. You're going to have to take out the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of 1 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Timothy, and the, and the book of 1 Peter. Those are just a few of the books that you're going to have to cut out of your New Testament and do without because they speak of election. Jesus spoke of it. Luke spoke of it. Paul spoke of it. 
Peter spoke of it. God has his elect that he is going to save. God has always had his remnant. We don't know who they are, but God knows. And that's why he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel because it is by the preaching of the gospel that the elect come to light. And so rather than election rendering evangelism and missions unnecessary, it makes them absolutely necessary. That's why Charles Spurgeon said on one occasion if people could raise their shirts and I could see a big E stamped on their backs then I would limit my ministry to just to just them but since I don't know who they are I preach the gospel to everybody and that's exactly what Paul is saying here in so many words I don't, know, I don't know who they are, but God does. And so that's why I'm suffering as I am going around the world. Being beaten the way I am. Being put in prison the way I am. And enduring all this the way I am. Why would a man do that? Because Paul knows through the preaching of the gospel, people hear. And the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's another confident assurance we can have that grows out of the resurrection. A living Lord who is able to save. We can know that as we do the work of a missionary and an evangelist, regardless of what we have to go through, God will bring forth a harvest of souls. Everybody won't listen. I guarantee you there are some in this very service this morning aren't listening. You could care less about what I'm preaching. But some will listen and some will be saved. God will save his elect. A living Savior is able to do that. If he were dead, he couldn't. I think of what Jesus said about this. John 10, Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me and raise it up on the last day. Paul in the book of Acts Acts 13, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you don't want it, since you want to thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now listen to this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Through the preaching of the gospel, a living Lord, I don't know, you don't know, but a living Lord knows who his elect are and he is able to save them and he will save them. He's able to do that because he lives. We preach a resurrection gospel. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. This morning, would you like Christ to transform your life? Is the Holy Spirit working on your heart, drawing you to Jesus? Folks, what he did for Paul, what he did for Simon Peter, what he did for others on the pages of Scripture, he can also do for you, but you need to come to him. He stands at the door knocking. Will you open the door? Is there somebody in this service today that needs to come forward? Saying, Pastor, I believe. I need that living Lord in my life. I need Him to save me and transform me. I need to be born again. Christians, what are you doing with the message of a resurrected Lord? If we could tape our speech for a month, And hear it played back in just a few minutes. Would anybody ever hear us talk about a risen Savior who was crucified, buried, and raised to life again? Have we gotten off track and forgotten the most important message that we have? Maybe there's somebody in here this morning that says, Pastor, when you spoke about a living Lord being able to come alongside of me and be my comforter and my shepherd, I needed that because of what I'm going through. I'd love to pray with you that God will give you strength and you'll see the power and presence of the Lord every day in your life. Lord, thank you for a resurrection gospel. We don't have a message to preach that just involves dead religion. Legalism. Do this and do that. We have a message about a risen Savior. Help us to go and tell. In Jesus' name we pray.